0: Hallelujah, grace shall reign eternally. What a privilege it is to be recipients of God's grace. Uh, Let us turn in our Bibles this evening to the book of Esther. Esther chapter 4 is our text uh, for the evening. This is a text that I've come to over and over and I love, uh, mostly because of the full shadowing in it, uh, how all of the scripture, especially in the book of Esther, we see our Lord Jesus Christ, the example that uh, the Holy Spirit leads for us in the book of Esther, points us to Christ. What courage it is to see God people display when in the face of hostility. Esther chapter four. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province whether the king's command and his decree reached, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes." When Esther's young woman and her eunuch came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hithach, one of the king's eunuch, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hithach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, an exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hithach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hithach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king's, to the king inside the inner court, Without being called, there is but one law to put him to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come in to the the king's these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we come once more into your presence, this time to seek your face and to ask for you to speak through your servant. Lord, you are the great God who enlightens the heart and souls of your people. You are the great shepherd who feeds your flock. And Lord, you have chosen a weak man of clay to come and to be an instrument, a vessel to deliver the treasure that you have in your word. Lord, I pray that you would use me and that you speak through me your words of life and truth. I pray that your people, your sheep, will hear your voice and that they will take comfort from your word and they will follow you as you lead them into life eternal. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This evening, I want to propose that the normal human tendency, the normal, the normal human tendency in the face of hostility is to compromise a coward. When we're faced with hostility, we are either going to compromise a coward, but the scripture calls us the courage in the face of hostility. J.K. Rowling, the famous author of Harry Potter, that is not uh, unknown to many many of us, uh, who wrote the popular series and the movies, recently came under attack because she stood up against the transgender movement. She insisted that the laws passed to make spaces that were once accessible to girls and women, open to transgender persons would put women and young girls at risks. Because of this concern that she voiced on Twitter, her critics threatened her life. They bullied her on social media. People who were close to her, her friends, and those who acted in the Potter movie distanced themselves from her. She had one of two choices. To bow... And scrape and apologize to the mob, but to stand for the truth. And she chose the latter. In a recent podcast dubbed The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, at the end of that podcast, J.K. Rowling said this She says, Some will always hate me for what I have said. I will accept that. I know I won't ever regret haven't stood up on this issue, ever. You know that the price, she said, you know, that's the price you pay. If you want to be universally and eternally beloved, then you must curate your image in a way I'm simply not prepared to do. She said, I'm not in the business of doing that. I'm not talking about a long bet thinking this culture moment will pass and therefore I will be vindicated. I don't know what the future holds. I only know... I would have betrayed myself and I know I would have betrayed lots of women and girls if I had not stood up on this issue. There are more important things in this world than being popular. That doesn't mean it is more important for me to be right. It is important for me to do the right thing. So these are very powerful words from what seemed to be an unexpected place. I don't know if J.K. Rowling is a Christian or if she is, I don't know what persuasion of Christianity she holds to. But what she did is an example of courage in the face of a hostile crowd, a hostile world that is closing in on her and trying to get her to bow the knee to popular opinion. And this is what the scripture calls us to do. This is where, as Christians, we find ourselves in the world that is hostile to us a world that is hostile to our God, we find ourselves constantly having to either cow and compromise or to stand for what's right. And what Esther has done in this text is given us a model of how to take courage in the face of conflict, how to stand up amidst hostility. She's given us a model like our Lord Jesus Christ that we will see later on to stand up, and even if it cost us our lives, to be willing to forego our lives for the cause of Christ. And so what we're going to do is we're going to divide Esther in three sections. And first we're going to see Esther praying in the Jews, Esther and the Jews praying in the face of hostility, verses 1 through 3. And then we're going to see Esther and the Jews seeking the face of the king in verses 4, through 11. And then in verses 12 to 17, we're seeing that Esther is willing to stand up and even give her own life for the cause of the truth. And what Esther teaches us is that in the face of hostility, the first place to turn is to God, to go to him in prayer. And secondly, to seek all means necessary legally to find vindication, and if not, to be willing to pay the ultimate price. And so what we see is that our fallen nature, in our fallen nature, we cower in the face of hostility, but in Christ, when by the Holy Spirit power, we are called to take courage in the face of a hostile world. Let's look at first the Jews and how they sought the face of God in the face of hostility, verses one through three. Scripture tells us that when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out of a loud and bitter cry. This act of tearing one's clothes and putting on sackcloth and ashes and crying and bitterly lamenting, is an act of contrition, is an act that foresees the judgment of God and attempts to seek the face of God and to make things right before the onslaught of judgment. At this time in the life of the Jews, Esther and her people were under the judgment, not only of the king because of his decree, but because of Haman, a wicked enemy of the church or of the people of God. Haman, because of his hatred for Mordecai, and his hatred for all of God's people, decided that it would be best to rid the empire of God's people. And he had convinced the king and had gotten the king to sign on to a decree that would eliminate and annihilate all of God's people. And so the decree had gone out, and in response to this decree, Mordecai and all of the Jews in the Persian Empire foreseeing what is about to happen to them, weep, they tear their clothes, they're repenting, they're contrite, and they're coming before God, and they're seeking his face to find deliverance from him. C.D. Jones says, If we are wise, we will also see the clear message of Mordecai's action." There is, of course, the natural mourning any man would feel if his own life, the lives of his loved ones, indeed his whole nation hung in a balance. We would, however, look deeper when faced with adversity. The first reaction of the godly should surely be to inquire whether or not they are the authors of their own destruction. They should humbly seek to discover if the calamity they face is perhaps a just and deserving punishment from God. When the believers was, were faced with calamity, in Isaiah chapter 58, they fasted and prayed. Again, when David's friend had been murdered, he put on sackcloth and ashes and mourned before God for Abner. And in Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel, looking forward to the judgment that Isaiah had prophesied, the scripture tells us, Then I, Daniel, turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So this fasting and sackcloth and ashes, this reality of repenting, this reality of coming before God, this reality of seeking God's face in the face of calamity is is nothing new that we see in the book of Esther. This is something that we see in Genesis with Jacob. This is something that we see later on in the life of David. This is something that we even see in the New Testament, when the church is being persecuted, the apostles and, and the disciples consult to the church, to talk to the church members, to pray for them. We see this in the life of Martin Luther, the reformer. The night before he appeared, before the Diet of Worm, R.C. Sproul says that Luther had his own private Gethsemane. And this is a sample of Luther's prayer. Lord, where art thou? My God, where art thou? Come, I pray thee, I am ready. Behold, prepare to lay down my life for the truth, suffering like a lamb, for the cause is holy. It is thine own. I will not let thee go, no, nor yet for all eternity. And though the world should be thronged with devils, and this body, which is the work of thine hand, should be cast forth, trotting on a foot, cut in pieces, consumed to ashes. My soul is thine. Yes, I have thine own words to assure me of it. My soul belong to thee and will abide with thee forever. Amen. O oh God, send help. Amen. In the words of Luther, as he stood before the diet of worm, God gave him courage when he was commanded to recant, to turn from or to relinquish his position or to take a position contrary to what he had been taken. he says, unless I am convinced by Scripture and by plain reason and not by popes and councils who have so often contradicted themselves, my conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. I cannot and I will not recant. I stain. I can do no other. God help me. And so here is a man of God who know the power of prayer. Here is a people of God in the book of Esther who knows the power of prayer. Who when they are faced with such hardship, when they are faced with the total annihilation of their people instead of them trying to find some other means, getting up in arms and trying to resist their oppressors we see that first and foremost they're going to God they're putting sackcloth and ashes and going into the midst of the city and they're crying out and so the question that we ask ourselves as we live in a hostile world where do we turn when we feel the pressures of the world coming upon us Do we turn to our own resources? Do we turn to people that we think are powerful who can help us? Or do we take the action that the scripture and the example that Esther and the Jews had given us to mourn and to to cry before the Lord, to seek his face in the midst of trial, of affliction, of suffering, of impending annihilation? But we see that they didn't stop there. They didn't just... Go out and cry before the Lord. We see that they had purpose in their hearts to do something, and especially Mordecai, to exhaust. Every legal means possible. His desire was to see that Esther appear before the king and to bring her case to him and find relief from the king. And so in verses 4 through 11, we have this conversation, this back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. Obviously, she was isolated and she didn't know about what was happening. And so when we get to verses 4, we, say, we, we see that when Esther, young women, and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She didn't know about what was happening. And then she heard that her uncle was out lamenting and had sackcloth. He couldn't, he couldn't go back to work. He couldn't appear before the king. He couldn't go to the courts because he would be prevented because of his mourning and weeping in such a public way. She finds out about this, and the scripture tells us that she too is distressed. No doubt she wants to do something about it, and she doesn't know what to do, and so she starts to reach out to Mordecai and probably try to give him some clothes to to get himself back in shape and go back to the courts and try to make his case. But we see that Mordecai would not do that at the end of verses 4 so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. And then the next thing she does is she sends a private emissary, someone to go on her behalf to keep the secret of probably what she anticipated was, was going to be exposed to her through uh, co- correspondence with, with Mordecai. Uh, this Hitach would have been someone who would have been close to her, appointed by the king, an older gentleman who no doubt would have wanted to engrace himself to the queen. And so here's a powerful man who wasn't only appointed by the king, but someone who was wanting the favor of the queen, who would keep her secret, no doubt. She sends him, and in verse 6, Hithach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city, in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Hithach had promised to pay into the king that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. And then Mordecai even gave them a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king and beg for his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. So here is Mordecai in the midst of this crisis, having sought the face of God, thought it was appropriate that they take their case before the king. This was a very sound process. This was expected. This was the right thing to do. We see the Apostle Paul, a Roman citizen, after being beat and put in jail in Philippi, when the authorities came and tried to secretly dismiss him, he told him, look. I'm a Roman citizen, and you beat me without a fair trial, and I wouldn't be dismissed privately. And so we see him exercising his right as Roman citizen. In Acts chapter 16, verses 35 to 40, it says, When it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailers reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. What is the principle we want to see here? In the face of conflict, especially political conflict, in Esther's case, her people were threatened with destruction. The foolish course of action would have have been to take up arms and attempt to fight against the enemy. But we know that they would have been outnumbered and they would have been easily dispatched. But we know that if she had sought the face of the king, with all the power that he had as the queen, she could have gotten relief. And so it is as Christians and those of us who are citizens of the United States, we have legal recourses. When we're threatened, we're not only left with the choice to take up our own arms or to take up our own strength and go against those who would come against us. We have the courts and we ought to appeal to the courts and to make our case. Not neglecting to pray, not neglecting to fast, but to take our, our case as citizens before our magistrates and pray that God would give them wisdom to judge righteously. And so we see that Mordecai is no doubt appealing to the king because he expects that God, through the king, that in God's sovereign wisdom, he would use Esther as queen, because she was appointed for such a time as this, to go before the king and find relief for her people. And so Esther is faced with a conflict. The laws of the Persian Empire was not like ours. She couldn't just appear before her husband at any given moment when she wanted to. She had to have been summoned by him. And so she had a back and forth of Mordecai. I, I, I can't just go to the king. You know, I, I could get my head cut off. I could get exiled for this. Esther is living with the real example of king Vas- uh, Queen Vashti, who had been deposed from being queen just early on in the story. And so the reality of her losing her position and even being killed for boldly approaching the king when not summoned was a serious reality. And so in the face of this, she at first didn't want to do it. In verses 13, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself. That in, the, that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And so Mordecai gets really blunt, gets right to the point. You're a Jew, and if this law goes into effect, your life is threatened too. Don't think just because you're a queen that you're exempt. You will die if you do not take the right course of action. And so in the face of impending threat to her life, to the life of her people, Esther resolved to do what's right, even if it would cost her her life. And in Esther's decision to do the right thing, even if it would cost her her life, we're brought back to this reality where God in his sovereign wisdom appoints people. And sometimes through hardship, he brings them to places where they work out great things to deliver his people. We see this in the case of Joseph when his brothers intended evil for him and sold him into slavery and he lives in Egypt as a slave and then he gets into the palace of the Pharaoh and ends up saving the rest of his people. And when his dad passed away and his brothers trying to escape judgment, he confronted him and told him that God had brought him here. What they had meant for evil, God had meant for good. And no doubt Mordecai knew of these stories in the Old Testament. And no doubt he knew that God could work to bring good out of evil. And so his encouragement to Esther is to say, God has given you the opportunity to make the right choice. But if you don't, God can still deliver his people. But wouldn't you want to be an instrument of God's deliverance? Wouldn't you want to be an instrument of God's deliverance? And so to take the cause of Christ, the scripture tells us that those of us who are disciples of Christ, daily we are called to take up our cross and to follow him. I think it was Deidre Bonhoeffer that I heard said, the call to discipleship is the call to come and die. And so as Christians, we have this very reality at the back of our mind that at any time God is calling us to a life of courage, to stand up for what's right. In a face of a hostile world that is encroaching upon us and threatening to destroy us, to stand up even if it will cost us a life. And so when Esther is faced with this reality that she could even lose her life, she thinks on it and decides in verses 12 to 17 that she will go before the king and she will do the right thing. And in verses 12, they told Mordecai what Esther had said. And in verses 15, we're going to jump down a little bit, Esther replied, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to, to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days and night. Night or day, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Do it is against the law. And if I perish. I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. We all remember the story of the three Hebrew boys in the days of King Nebuchadnezzar, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when Nebuchadnezzar set up his, his idol and was calling all of the world at the time to come and worship him. And these three men refused to worship King Nebuchadnezzar. These men were willing to give their lives. Because they believed in the living God. They said in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and following, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your God or worship the golden image that you have set up." This is the same statement. This is a similar statement to what Esther is making here. In the case of these Hebrew boys, it's their lives that are on the line, and they are being thrown into the fiery furnace, and they're saying, we still will not worship you. In the case of Esther and the Jews, these are the people of God, and Haman is offended at them because they're Jews, because they would not worship him, they would not bow down, because they were a people of strange and different custom than the people that they lived among, and the enemies of God would not have any of it. And so they would do whatever they chose to do, whatever they could in their own power to destroy the people of God. And Esther was willing to stand up to say, I will go before the king, and I will bring the matter before him, all the while knowing that this could cost her uh, her life. And then she said, if I perish, I perish. If I sacrifice my life and it cost me my life, that's fine. Because I'm doing what God would have me to do. I'm doing what's right. And in this decision, Esther foreshadows none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us that Christ set his face to Jerusalem. The reality of Christ's suffering and death and resurrection was always before him. On the night before he was betrayed, on the night in Gethsemane, he was praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. And in Esther's case, she appears before the king and she finds relief for she and her people. But in Christ's case, when he, when he prays to the Father, the Father ordained him for the cross. Where Esther, life was preserved, Christ, life was taken. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He went before the Father, and he prayed for relief. But the Father, in his wisdom, him to the cross and while he hung there he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me and so the Christ our Christ was forsaken our Christ with boldness and courage went to the cross forsaken the shame our Christ with boldness stood in the courts of Caiaphas was publicly shamed and spat on and buffeted, endured whipping and nakedness and hung on the cross so that we can be saved. And here is Esther as an example, willing to give up her own life for the sake of her people. And in God's wisdom and God's providence, he delivered her. And yet he would spare not his own son, but he would deliver him up for us all. And though we're not Christ and we're not Esther, we're called to be disciples. We're called to take up our cross daily and to follow Christ and to welcome the suffering and affliction that comes from the world and to stand up in the face of conflict, to pray and seek the face of God, to exhaust legal means to find justice. But finally, to be willing, if it's possible, to give up our lives for the sake of Christ. I'll close with the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 14. When Paul, or the Jews, came from Antioch to Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to the city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium in Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it is that we too are ordained for tribulation. And it's through many tribulations that we too will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for the grace and mercy that we find in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the life of Esther. Her demonstration of courage in the face of annihilation. But Lord, even more so as her life point to our own Lord Jesus Christ, who would stand in the face of the world, the devil, and evil men who would destroy him for our sake Lord you made him to be sin and through his life we have life we pray Lord that you give us the grace and courage to stand up against the hostile world that encroaches around us that we would be like him that we would heed the words of the apostle Paul that through many afflictions we too will inherit the kingdom of heaven We pray and ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.